let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 4. There we find God's Spirit summarized as follows. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly displeased with our original as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally. As he has declared, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3 verse 10. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 118, the stanzas 5 and 8. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we have come to the last Lord's Day dealing with our sin and misery. In the next Lord's Day, we will begin a new section dealing with our deliverance. There are only three Lord's Days that deal with our sin and misery, whereas our deliverance is dealt with in no less than 26 Lord's Days. Why do you think that is? Why so few dealing with our sin and misery? And why so many dealing with our deliverance? Well, this is not because the authors of the Catechism did not attach much importance to our sin and misery. For the first three Lord's Days did not leave a stone unturned. Our fall into sin and the damage done is quite thoroughly dealt with. The Catechism brings us completely before the knees of God. It is clear from those Lord's Days that we have nothing to boast of any longer. Whatever qualities we may have had before the fall into sin are totally lost. That has been made absolutely clear. And so, as far as that goes, nothing more needs to be said about our fall into sin. Why then does the Catechism take so many Lord's Days dealing with our deliverance? Well, it is actually quite simple. We can understand this from our own experiences. If, for example, disaster strikes, and then it takes also a lot of doing to make things right again. When a hurricane hits, 
It is all over in a few moments. Everything is destroyed in seconds. But oh, what a havoc it wreaks. It takes a long time to rebuild. It often takes years before things are back to the way they were. So it is with our sin and misery. The episode in paradise took only a short time. Perhaps it took no more than about an hour. But how great the damage that was done. And what a tremendous price has to be paid in order to make things right again. And so the damage now has been assessed in these three Lord's Days. But now we come before a problem. How do we rebuild? How do we undo the damage? God tells us that it is all our fault that this happened. And we have to accept that. However, God also requires that we ourselves have to make things right again. Is that fair? Is that not like saying to someone whose house has been blown down by a hurricane that now he must rebuild that house? The only thing is he will not be given any tools or any material in order to accomplish that. He has to start from scratch without any blueprints even or tools or anything else. And no one is going to help him. Is that fair? The Catechism tells us that it is fair indeed. It tells us that for us to ask a question like that is actually questioning the perfect justice and mercy of God. And that's what we have to deal with this afternoon. God's perfect justice and mercy. And so let us listen to the preaching of this afternoon as I've summarized it on the following theme. We confess God's perfect justice and mercy. First of all, in his covenant faithfulness, and secondly, in his righteous judgment. The first thing that we have to deal with is the fairness of God. For that, in effect, is what the first question and answer deal with. We ask, is God not unjust? Or as an earlier version puts it, does God not do man an injustice? We are questioning the fairness of God, and that's quite something. How dare we question God in such a way? Is God answerable to us? Is God answerable to anyone? Of course not. And yet we dare ask, why? Well, it is because of our sinful nature. Else such a thought would not even arise in our hearts. For do you know what such a question sounds like in the ears of God? It sounds like a drunk driver saying to a policeman, I couldn't help driving in the wrong lane because I'm drunk. And so it's not my fault. I don't deserve to be punished. Well, God does hold us accountable for we do deserve to be punished. It is our own fault. But that still doesn't satisfy us, does it? We are not done yet questioning God by a long shot. For we will remember that we did not personally fall into sin. Adam and Eve did that thousands of years ago. We were not even there. We were not even in the driver's seat. Humanly speaking, that sounds like a good argument. But from God's perspective, that doesn't make sense either. For in his wisdom, he deals with us as his 
covenant people. As such, we are a corporate unity. We have to have a proper concept of the covenant. For God does not, we, does not treat us as unrelated, loose individuals. He does not treat the human race as a pile of gravel. No, he treats the human race as a giant tree. We are not pebbles thrown together, but twigs and branches on a tree, all organically united. We form a corporate unity, and we belong together, therefore. And we should be able to relate to that. Isn't that the way it is, for example, in the world of finance? The national debt, for example, is shared by all. That great amount of money which our nation owes to the financiers of this world belongs to each individual Canadian. Yet when these debts were incurred, some of us were not yet born, and none of us were asked. In the same way, the debt of the human race is ours as well. Somehow, such argumentation does not quite satisfy us either. And that is because when it comes to our relationship with the Lord our God, examples from our own human experiences do not always ring true. If we are going to use our own human experiences to explain things relating to the justice of God, then we have to do that also in every respect. For it is true that, humanly speaking, God could be accused of being unjust. For you see, our circumstances have changed. We are now incapable of doing what God requires. That needs to be taken into account, doesn't it? For what do we do when our circumstances, when our circumstances change? Well, then we change the law. And that's done all the time. Look at the penal code of Canada. What may have been illegal at one time is no longer legal. Also the other way around. Things which were legal before are illegal now. Just take as an example laws concerning pollution. They're getting stricter all the time. Companies are no longer allowed to pollute the environment as they were before. Our situation has changed. Man has discovered that protracted pollution is endangering the environment. And so many more examples could be given as to the changing of the laws. For example, the law regarding gambling before that was against the law. It is no longer against the law today. Laws are continually in a state of flux. We have to be somewhat flexible. Same thing is true in our homes. Our older children will observe that the parents deal more leniently now than with their younger siblings. They say the parents have relaxed their rules. It's even true in the church, for also the church order has been changed many times over the years since the Synod of Dort. That is because the situation of the church has to take into account the changes in the world around us. And now we expect the same thing from God. Our situation has changed as well since God first proclaimed his law. And yet God has not relaxed his laws. 
the same requirement before the fall into sin is still in effect today. The Lord commanded that Adam love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his mind, and with all his soul. That requirement has never been changed. After the fall, that still applies. But now there is a difference. We are now incapable of doing that. And so now we want God to relax a little. Our situation has changed. And yet we read in answer 10 of the catechism that God is still terribly displeased with us. The Latin edition puts it even stronger. There it reads that he is enraged with us. And we ask, is that fair? Can we really help it? Should God not lighten up a little bit? But please let us move beyond our human situation and our human sense of justice. It is actually a good thing that God retains his original sense of justice. For you see, man's laws are arbitrary and changing because they have many flaws in them and because those who make them are imperfect themselves. But the law of God is perfect. And he who made the law is perfect as well. And therefore, instead of rebelling against God's unchangeable sense of justice, we ought to rejoice. Let us be glad that the Lord our God does not change his mind about anything. For that is exactly what gives us an anchor in this life. Mankind is not trustworthy. We cannot depend on man for anything. In this world there are no guarantees. Look at the way that man so easily goes back on his word. At every turn people break their vows and their commitments. The divorce rate has skyrocketed because people no longer know what commitment is all about. They do not really mean it when they say that they will be true to each other. Even though they say till death do us part, they mean until something else comes along. Or until my wife or my husband becomes a better person. And that's the way it is in all of life. Man is not reliable. Look at the politicians of today. They constantly go back on their word. And that is why man also has to keep on changing the laws and rules of society in order to cater to his unstable sense of commitment and integrity. But the Lord God is not like that. And we will sing of that at the end of this service. For the Lord has spoken Words of truth unspoken. He is faithful still. Righteousness he treasures. But then you may remark that that still does not help us. We are still in an impossible situation. The Lord requires from us our love. And we are incapable of giving that to him in the way that he wants. But then we should also remember something else. The Lord God is also a merciful God. He knows that we are incapable. And he does keep that fact in mind. For we also sing about God's mercy and goodness. He is a God slow to anger. He has dealt with us in great compassion. Not punished us according to our transgression. High as the soaring heavens without end. So great his mercy is to those who fear him. That does not mean that his justice has changed. 
It does not mean that he no longer holds us accountable. He does. He wants us to be perfect as he is perfect. And that is why he also sent us his perfect son. God told him that his justice must be satisfied. He held him accountable for our inability. A lot more will be said about that in the following Lord's Days. But let us remember for now that God's unwillingness to change his law for our sakes is a tremendous comfort. In this way, we can let God be God. He does not change. There is nothing arbitrary about him. For even though we are now in a very somber part of the catechism, we need to be reminded how comforting it is that we have a just God who deals with us in accordance with his covenant, that he doesn't change. Yet his unchangeableness also means that his penalty for our self-willed inability has not changed either. He told man that he who sins will die. And there we come to the second point, namely that we confess God's perfect justice and mercy in his righteous judgment. For you see, man is not done with trying to get out from under his responsibilities to the Lord. He wants to play off God's justice over, over against his mercy. They say, well, God is a God of love. And therefore, they draw the conclusion that every man gets a second chance. He overlooks our sins. What does it say in Hebrews 9 verse 27? It says there, just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Man doesn't get a second chance. Judgment follows after sin. There is no escaping. That door is shut as well. There are those who say that in the end there will be a universal pardon. Modern theologians especially promote this idea. They speak about universal atonement. They say Christ died for all, didn't he? That means that everybody will be saved. And they also teach that the, the, that the idea of hell is antiquated. It is no longer a modern day concept. They say it belongs to the superstitious and intolerant past. God is a God of love. He will not allow millions upon millions of people to be thrown into some lake of fire. But what do the scriptures teach us? God's word tells us that God does punish. He is terribly angry at the sin in this world. God is angry because of our original sin as well as our actual sin. He cannot and does not keep a lid on that anger. It is not an anger that he stores away for a later time either, for that's also what some people think. They think that his anger will not be unleashed until the final day. In the meantime, we keep on getting second chances. Well, brothers and sisters, we see God's anger every day all around us. In the Old Testament, the Lord God judged, his, judged the people. Look at what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed it. He wiped it off the earth because of the sin found in those cities. And he also judged the people of Israel. He sent them into exile because they would not listen to him. He was terribly angry at their sin. And that great anger of God has not abated. 
He shows his anger in many ways. He shows it today in the many diseases and the afflictions of man. He shows it in the earthquakes and hurricanes and other natural disasters. He sent the AIDS virus and other venereal diseases because of his anger at the terrible immorality of man. The world sees illness and disaster as being caused by outside influences over which we have no, no or little control. And they try to explain away all the natural disasters and attribute them to anything except God's anger against sin. They do not see it that way. But these things all happen because of God's anger. As the Catechism says, God's curse hangs over this creation. But it is indeed true that God does want man to come to repentance. That's also what we read in Romans 2. And that is why he gives them a foretaste of what hell is going to be like. The disasters and illnesses and deaths serve in order to drive man to God. To bring them on their knees so that they will beg the Lord God for forgiveness. To seek shelter around his throne. For the Lord God does not just show his anger, but he also shows his goodness. For there are also many good things here on this earth. The Lord feeds us. He gives us shelter. He gives us the enjoyment of each other's company. He gives us many things to enjoy. And in that way, he shows his goodness and his mercy. He shows that especially to us as people. And also those things are designed to bring unbelievers to him. For these things are a foretaste of what heaven will be like. But if they use these things for their own enjoyment, without acknowledging God as the giver of all these things, then they will receive God's goodness to their condemnation. Is God then angry all the time at the sin of the world, you may ask? Well, the Lord God is merciful indeed, and he shows his mercy in numerous ways. But his mercy may not be separated from his justice. For you cannot have the one without the other. Mercy and justice go together. Isn't that the way it is also in human relationship? You cannot have mercy without justice. For mercy without justice is totally unloving. For consider, the devil and his cohorts deserve nothing less than that they and their work of destruction be utterly eradicated. The destruction of Satan and his kingdom, including the citizens of his kingdom, must come about if God's mercy is going to be shown to himself and to his creation. It is due only to his loving kindness and mercy that not all will be destroyed. It is due to his love and mercy that in the end, all this misery and suffering will be banished from the earth altogether. He loves his creation so much that he does not want his creation to remain under the curse that it is now. For only when all wickedness has been removed from the earth, only after his all has been consumed by his righteous anger, can creation again be restored to its original purpose, to glorify God in all its works and splendor. The most severe punishment, says the Heidelberg Catechism, is eternal punishment of body and soul. The discovery for those who have stubbornly shunned God's love all their life, 
will be that God's love in the end can no longer reach out to them. What a terrible realization that will be for them. But now we as his beloved children praise him because we can be assured that God has spared us from his final destruction. That is what scripture has taught us. Brothers and sisters, we have come to the end of the section dealing with our sins and misery. But let not this section leave us miserable and unconsoled. Answer 11 speaks about the punishment of God. But that punishment is for those only who remain as sinful children of the first Adam. The next section deals with the second Adam. Let us remember God's covenant. As I said earlier, he deals with us, not as individuals, and that's a great comfort. As the following section will show, those who believe can now be part of the second Adam, of Christ. It is a wonderful thing that the Lord God deals with us as one people. If he did not, then we would be left in our sins, without the possibility of being rescued. Then we would be like the fallen angels, who are not in a covenant relationship with him. They are doomed forever, as they deserve. But for us, that is not the case. For indeed, God shows his wrath. But for those who believe in him, his wrath has been visited upon his son. He bore the curse for us so that we can live. And so God is indeed just, but he is also merciful. Amen.